Namas everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host Kushal Mehra. Alright, today's topic is Sikhs versus Khalistanis. And to talk about it, I have Terry Malevsky and Puneet Sahani with me. Welcome. Namaste. Namaste, Jaima Bharti. Thank you. All right, so so let's uh, give a brief background about why we decided to do this discussion. Obviously, Terry had come on the podcast and we had a wonderful discussion about his book. Uh, by the way, please buy the book. If you have not, uh, the link to buy the book is in the description of the podcast uh, itself. But uh, what happened was a few days ago, so I, I'm also going to share the screen to, and I would encourage you guys to go and read this uh, essay too. Uh, so Terry wrote this essay on Colette. Uh, it is a very good magazine, a digital magazine. So it was titled Next Year in Shimla, 30 Years After Its Defeat, The Khalistan Movement Fights On in Cyberspace. So uh, as always, this this article uh, created uh, quite a bit of discussion. Uh, what was very interesting is people were shocked that how is Quillette even covering the Khalistan issue, which was, which was also one of the very interesting <laughs> uh, things. So let so so we decided okay we need to revisit something because uh, and and uh, i'll let puneet do the talking because my first question to puneet will be uh, the whole uh, twitter fiasco because uh, that was part of uh, you know the article itself but terry i'm going to start with you first so so this today we're going to be focusing on the digital landscape as such but in the piece itself <laughs> Uh, you start with the, your first line, which is uh, kind of jarring, where you start by saying the death threats have gone upscale. Uh, uh, so has the English improved? <laughs> uh, not necessarily. Uh, it, 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 it's, uh, it's a sometimes thing. Uh, the grammar and the spelling has never been uh, really excellent, uh, but it has, uh, I must give these people credit, they have in, in improved it. Uh, they're a little bit more polished. And my point uh, in, in that opening was just to uh, perhaps to grab people's attention by noticing that you know, here we are 30 years after this Khalistan movement uh, died out really in, uh, in India and in Punjab. Uh, and they're still making death threats against journalists. Uh, and this guy in Britain a uh, young guy with the National Sikh Youth Federation, a co-founder of that organization, uh, was um, uh, reminding me of the fate of uh, a famous uh, Punjabi journalist and politician and editor, uh, Lala Nagat Narayan, who was uh, assassinated uh, by uh, uh, Janal Singh Bindramali's goons uh, in 1981. Uh, it's rather a famous case. Uh, he was shot in his car by these two goons on a motorbike uh, on a back road. Uh, and um, uh, Bindranwali, of course, was famously arrested as uh, being the prime suspect. Uh, and th the rest is history. Uh, don't get me started. Um, the, uh, the upshot is that although uh, the death threat was a bit more subtle, that is to say, if you didn't read Gurmukhi's script, you, you didn't know what the tweet was saying. It just said, in English, we say Terry Malaski. In Punjabi, we say, what is that? What is it? You, you have to get some help uh, to translate what it says. Uh, and it says the name of Narayan. And obviously, it's a reminder that uh, journalists can suffer the ultimate fate 
if they get too far out of line and annoy uh, the Khalistanis. So uh, I, I, I don't really think it's an improvement uh, on the old days when they used to say, post things on Facebook, like we've got to find out where Malevsky lives and put his head on a stick. Uh, that was uh, another one said, bullets are cheap, you know, it's Malevsky's turn. And uh, there used to be a lot of that. And now, as I say, it's a little bit more polished, uh, but it's not a great improvement. So, Puneet, mm. first of all, uh, this is your first time on the podcast. I know, you know, you've, you've been speaking a lot, but uh, still my request to you for the benefit of the listeners of the podcast and the viewers of the podcast is also I'll request you to tell a little bit about yourself. And also we can maybe start with this whole thing where, you know, which is also mentioned in, in the Quillette essay, which Terry wrote that, you know, Khalistanis, uh, I don't know what, I'm not good with digital terminology. I guess it, the word would be mass reporting you. Uh, so so basically, could you draw the whole picture for us? Yes. Yeah, so basically, I, I'm from Delhi. And, you know, my father was nearly lynched in 84. I was just born in 80. I was like locked in my home with my mother. And, you know, so that really like, uh, like really traumatized, like it's something that we never discuss in the house. And then you grow up and you see a documentary, but I was like a curious kid and I was like, really? So I basically dedicated a large part, you know, to understanding what exactly happened and why things like that happened. Because I grew up in Delhi and there was like no difference uh, between us. And it was like, how can, you know, like this bestiality happen? So that was basically kind of my journey. And it just so happened like now I was, I have like different interests. But when they did this red fort and, you know, then I just got like sucked into these things. And there are like few things that allow me to basically speak. So first of all, I'm not in Canada and I'm not on California and I'm not in Punjab. So I'm in a relatively safer space. You know, I can say what I want. And uh, yeah, so we have like this uh, and like I don't do anybody's job. Like I have my own small business. So they basically cannot fire me. To give you an example, there is like a Kashmiri Pandit, you know, doctor, and she's very nice. And, you know, she, she tweeted a couple of me and, you know, she said, "What's it's very interesting how you post research things. And they just found out who this lady is because her name was there. And Khalistani in hundreds wrote fake reviews on her practice. And then she was like, OK, I'm never going to write about Khalistanis or something like that. So that's how they basically bully. So, you know, they try to destroy your business. They try to destroy your family. But, you know, like I'm kind of, you know, like... I don't have a kid so far, so I don't have to worry. And so I, I'm in a pretty good uh, space that I can speak about it. Now, actually, this mass reporting thing, you know, so the article went on for, it says, like 18 minutes long. So it covered many things, but there are many things that actually it didn't cover. So, for example, you know, like, because I'm a Sikh and, you know, they couldn't counter, like, with facts. They just, like, mass report you and get you, like, kicked out of Twitter. So, for example, the Seva account, which basically published this research things, like, I can actually send you this where they said you have done hate speech and, you know, your mind will be blown away. Like, what is hate speech? Hate speech is also sharing Terry Muleski's documentary. It's basically published on CBC. You know, you can read it. I'll send you the email by Twitter. Hate speech is using a quotation from Thomas Sowell. You know, these, these, this is what Twitter is saying hate speech. So basically, you know, they have like, I think on Discord about a thousand members and whatever like Terry says, or I say, or anybody speaks against Khalistan, they have like thousand people reporting for the same thing from all across the world. And Twitter just like is overwhelmed and it's like, okay, hate speech. If like people all around the world are saying hate speech, it's hate speech. 
So for you know, it's it's so ridiculous, but it's actually true. You know, like you can I can send you. You can post it. Sharing a quotation from Thomas Sowell is hate speech. Posting Terry Mulesky's documentary on Twitter is hate speech. Because you know, for, for because, Canadians, because I guess of, Terry is one of the most scary Canadians. Then, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it's. I mean, it, it is a, a, an education. What this episode has taught us is that Twitter is not awake. Twitter is is run automatically. It's automated, so that if enough complaints come in, it defaults to suspend this person for hate, even though no hate occurred. Uh, and it makes no sense whatsoever. It's just because there's a, a, a sufficient, there's a critical mass uh, of people objecting, saying it's hate. Uh, and there was another case yesterday, nothing to do with Sikhs, I don't think, uh, that, that uh, I noticed, where somebody had mysteriously been suspended, had their account suspended after multiple multiple complaints, and there was absolutely no hate of any kind in what they posted. It was merely something that, that somebody didn't like. They didn't want them saying it. And that's what happened to Puneet, that uh, he posted a link to a documentary of mine, which was on the air, I believe, in 2007, hmm. and has been on the internet ever since that night that it was broadcast, and is still there, and contains not a whiff of hate, um, and it's, it's simply a factual, boring television documentary. And uh, they, they, they called Puneet hateful, accused him of hateful conduct for posting a link to it. Uh, so it's absurd, but Twitter fell for it because they're overwhelmed. They don't have a system where a human brain looks at it and says, there's no hate here, this is ridiculous. This is a malicious attempt to shut somebody down to silence debate on the internet. Uh, and by leaving it to computers, number one, they save money. Number two, they make fools of themselves. And Tony didn't get his account back until this article was that you mentioned was published on Quillette. And somebody must have seen that and passed it to somebody at Twitter and said, you know, we've done it again. We've made fools of ourselves. Uh, read this. This is making Twitter look stupid. And it did. So they reversed themselves. To their credit, they reversed themselves. But it should never have been in the hands of an automated system, is my point. That should never happen. You know, they, they, they should be making enough money, I think, so that humans decide, so that common sense is brought to bear on questions like this. You know, but, but Terry, you... I just want to talk about uh, Puneet. Just, uh, just mm -hmm. one second, and then I'll come to you too. So, I, I want to take this forward. What Puneet mentioned. This is actually a serious issue inside the community and outside it too, where when you have such a malicious propaganda machine that is attacking you all the time. Like he used the example of the poor Kashmiri doctor, right? I mean, you can just, you know, manipulate reviews, and you can put people. So it creates a situation where, you know, you're constantly walking on eggshells where you don't know what's going to be the fallback of you criticizing X. I mean, I've faced it, but uh, in my case too, because I am relatively secure in my life, that they can't hit me. Because if I was doing a job, I can assure you, I would not be speaking up myself because I don't want to be fired myself. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, somebody's got to <laughs> you know, make money. And because I am self-employed, 
and I can do what I want to do, basically pretty much any time I want to do, they can't hit me. So in such a situation, Terry, what is the solution? Because Twitter is not going to look at, there is not going to be a Terry Milevsky writing an article every time, right? No, you would, you would hope they're a, a quite impenetrable organization. I mean, as Puneet can talk about this, you know, uh, why he never managed to get a human on the phone to say, look, you, 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 the, 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 look at it. There's no hate here. He's posting a link to a documentary. So what? Um, the uh, Twitter ought to be able to educate itself and to learn from, from this and from like incidents. This is just the one we happen to know about most recently, but it seems to happen a lot. Um, they ought to learn that it's worth the expense to hire a few more people to look at such cases and to have a system where if you appeal, then a human looks at it. For example, I wrote to Twitter in, the, in his case, I wrote to Twitter using their sort of rather crazy uh, reporting system to say, this is absurd. And I used the word absurd. And I said it several times in every single box. This is crazy. There is no hate here. And I got a reply from a computer saying, thank you for reporting this hateful tweet. We assure you that he's been shut down. They thanked me for doing what I definitely did not do and uh, reassured me, don't worry, we've cast him into outer darkness. <laughs> you should be happy now. You know, In other words, no actual brain is, is operating in that system. That's the problem. Yeah, Puneet? Yeah, actually, you know, just like look at journalists, for example, right? So this Khalistan, you know, like it's like coming from Canada and, you know, of course, it happened in India. So when I educated myself, you know, like who are like Shekhar Gupta, you know, he covered for India today, Tavleen Singh, you know, very brave, Ramesh Vinayak, and these people are still alive. They never post anything against it. You know, like, it's just like the harassment, like, you know, there's this the famous guy and, you know, like, what's his name? Uh, Kuldeep Nagyar, for example, he wrote his autobiography and, you know, he mentioned some Hindranwale, he got so much opprobrium. He said, okay, okay, I'll remove this from my autobiography. So Mark Tully and, you know, Satish Jacob, who wrote this uh, great book, you know, at least for Blue Star, on history, they are a bit off because they're not the scholars on Sikh history. This is Gandhi's last battle. So they speak sometimes, they always say, okay, we don't want to anger like followers of Bindanwale. And if you look at Terry, for example, you know, Terry has just been going for the longest time, but he's actually not the first Canadian journalist who went on this Khalistani beat. And I know them, you know, and they're very fine people and they cover the story very well. And... If somebody researches, I always like I'll send them, but they speak nothing. It's just harassment, it's death threats, you know, like you're a white racist. And it's just like, and I think we as Punjabis and, you know, like people who believe in civilized behavior and, you know, values of the enlightenment, we all should be very grateful to Terry, you know, because it doesn't really pay to do this. Even like if you look at his book, the biggest market should be Canada. But, you know, I don't know, maybe he didn't, uh, why he chose it or he didn't find it. The publisher is in India. Because you do it and these people have nothing. They just like file like lawsuits for hundreds of millions of dollars and waste your time. And, you know, uh, it's, it's, a it's a harassment. So imagine in, what would be for the ordinary person. Yeah. In this case, by the way, um, an Indian publisher asked me to write the book. No Canadian publisher asked me to write the book. They just want to stay away. They're, they're just, they've had it with the whole subject. They don't want to go there. It's not worth it. It's costly. They'll get sued. They don't want to be involved. 
Yeah. So let let me pick this up with Puneet. So I guess Puneet, this is where you know we should have a discussion. We're obviously the same stock in that sense. You know, both Punjabis. Uh, you being a Sikh, I'm being a Hindu Punjabi. Now this is the thing, right? They don't want to touch it in Canada. There is a reason why they don't want to touch it. The community has done something, right? So don't you think the community needs to own up to its failures too? No, they they have actually. Like so, I, I can give you many examples. But what you are dealing with is, for example, criminals. It's not like some people, you know, like there are people of different thing, and you know, you basically argue your case and you bring a reform. But you are dealing with essentially criminals, and how can you expect like a people who believe in the rule of law? to basically like fight or that's the responsibility of the state so i can give you like up to 10 examples so for example you know again if you go to the article and in the article like terry reference to a punjabi interview where this guy is basically accepting like you know my father did that and my father did that so there are actually like two things that are not and i understand because you know article has to restrict what they put there are two very interesting things also that he says in that in in that punjabi interview first he says the police like largely left us alone you know it's of course you know when bian singh died or somebody like really big so police came you know because his father killed so many important people so they would come to but they largely left him alone so there goes this thing of you know like police like did excesses second thing he says and he comes from the most sikh belt and the most militancy infected uh, what do you say region of punjab to give you an example like that area like for example had like 13 police stations out of 265 200 some uh, 67 and they had 65% so basically a 5% region had 65% of the violence and terrorist acts and something like that and that area is like 95% sikh and he says in that very interview that the village completely boycotted him they called him you are a family of a terrorist so even in maja you know you can't get like more central than that in that thing you know where he comes from this village the village boycotted them So it's the same in, uh, like you see, like you know, they're not just losing elections in Punjab; they're losing their security deposit. So average person can do like that. It's the same in Canada. So Canada is basically like you know spreading this Khalistani terrorism, but which is like the worst spot of this, I would say, uh, Surrey. So I have I basically sent you an article, and maybe you can share it with your audience. You know, one time, you know, like they they created such a chaos. It was in late nineties. that the supreme court of that province of british columbia had to be involved into the elections and the opposite like the radicals were being supported by the jathedar of the akal takht which would be like the pope and there was like vote for these radicals or these thugs but when the supreme court got involved you know like the community came it was like okay now we have a voice we can express what we want and you know canada is a very small country it's like what one and a half times delhi so in this gur- election of one gurdwara just imagine 40,000 people i think 38,000 approximately 40,000 people that's a huge number i don't know like where they ever come for like one gurdwara and from the first to the last it means i don't know what from the sweeper to the president that means the khalistanis lost everything they had the muscle they had the money they had the uh, clergy saying vote for them but they lost everything and i think one of the losers among them was like father of harjit sajjad so the community can just vote what do you expect them to take up clubs and you know like act like criminals like they are to give you an example you know for example you know you heard this you know shocking thing where they chopped off somebody's hand and on you know when they were doing this protest and kill somebody and lynch somebody right 
So exactly one month after that, you see, for example, 16th of September, put in Google, 16th September, Brisbane, Gurdwara, right? You will get a news report, you know, they chopped a man's hands, a man's hand outside Brisbane, Gurdwara. Exactly the same thing that happened there. They killed a man and I didn't follow the news and there were some people in the hospital. So they killed a person, they chopped somebody's hand. And these are the kind of criminals. So of course I can speak about it. I can speak from here on Twitter, but what do you expect me to do? So they are essentially criminals. They say we are a persecuted minority and genocide. They create this whole thing so you don't touch them. Like it's the same with Islamists. They are like, oh, don't touch us. We are, we are the victim of all this thing. Even if you look at, for example, Khalistan, they claim we are victims. You took both sides. All the attacks happens from Khalistanis to non-Khalistanis. So Terry gets threats and, you know, like uh, Kim, uh, Kim Bolin gets threats. But people who are actually like, for example, you know, like really like uh, murdered, like Tara here, who are very, very nearly murdered, Ujjal Dosanj and Balraj Deol. And then Terry, I forgot his name, who had to testify about like Bakri and the gun and something like that. He basically ran away. So all of them are people speaking against Khalistanis. You see, Khalistani has never been threatened. You know, if, if you have read Terry's book, what you find very interesting is, you know, like these people are giving to Canadian mobsters, okay, take $40,000 or so many and put a bomb, right? So Indian community is very huge. Do you, don't you think like they killed 350 people, they can give a mobster, don't put a bomb, but kill a Khalistani. But no Khalistani has been killed. So they claim victimhood, you know, they, they have perfected this game of being victims of blah, blah, blah. But all these crimes and atrocities have been committed by their side. Yeah, you know, so Terry, I, I actually wanted to expand on this. This is this is a classic bait and switch all the time, right? That, and some people have mastered this art. Puneet has put it very well. So, how, they're the victim and the bully simultaneously, which is fascinating because I don't know how they manage that. I wish I could do that. Sometimes it makes your head spin. Uh, I, I was thinking when Puneet was talking of a case, uh, a story I covered uh, actually in Vancouver. Again, it involves an election, and this was the run-up to the federal election of 2015, which was the first time that uh, Justin Trudeau was elected uh, as the head of the Liberal Party to become prime minister. Uh, and in the run-up to that election, of course, there are always nomination battles. And in Vancouver South, Ujol Dosanjo, old riding, which had voted Liberal for many years, um, in that riding, which was considered a safe seat for the Liberals, so that was the most active contest. Um, there was a dispute which led uh, a large number of uh, senior, long-time Liberal supporters in the Liberal executive, the Liberal Party Association, to walk out of the party in protest. These were, uh, many of them, Amritdari Sikhs, long-time Liberal loyalists, the head of the Ross Street, uh, former head of the Ross Street Temple, uh, the head of the um, Sikh Association, which goes back 100 years, eminent leaders of the community who all on television walked out of the party in protest against the actions of the party brass, which had selected its own candidate against the one that they supported. In other words, he had sold the most memberships. There, there was a secular, non-Kalistani, anti-Kalistani Sikh gentleman who was leading in the race for the nomination, and they supported him. But the party brass came along 
on the advice of the former head of the World Sikh Organization, a separatist group, they had selected somebody else, Harjit Sajjan, who later became defense minister. He no longer is, but he, that, but he eventually won the writing. I and mean, here's my point, that uh, the CBC was attacked for reporting this, for reporting the walkout of longtime liberal Sikhs, their protests against their own party, publicly criticizing their own party for deselecting a popular candidate and imposing a diktat from the party brass. This, the CBC was attacked for, and I quote on Twitter, for example, they accused me of veiled racism. Now, uh, hold on a second. Uh, let's just try to wrap our heads around this. I was accused of veiled racism for reporting on Sikhs protesting against their own liberal party. And it's, it's, this was actually, a, a, the gentleman is a lawyer who tweeted this. So is this, this is veiled racism as a shame on the CBC report. And I, I mean, both sides are the same race. It, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. But you talk about the, the, the combination of being A, a victim and B, a bully. This is a classic case. They're saying, oh, we're, 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 the, we're the victims of racism because our own race is attacking us or something and the CBC is reporting it and they shouldn't do that. There's absolute madness, in other words. I mean, it just made no sense at all. But this is what happens. They say that they are victims and they're prepared to bully and harass you to prove it. <laughs> yeah, but, but Terry, then isn't that the case of where... Look, I'm not trying to whitewash the record of any nation when it comes to racism or something of that every nation has a horrific past canada does too america does too uh, india does too we we all have our own uh, you know burdens to carry and, and our own weight to carry but in this case you know the human story is learning from your mistakes and going forward and creating better systems where we can you know move over this whole I don't know how to put it, group identity-based obsession, and we start looking at each other as individuals, you know? So it doesn't matter. Puneet and I just happen to be Punjabis. It doesn't matter. You know, Puneet is a human being. I'm a human being. You're a human being. But then, I don't know how to say this, but the Western societies have created this group obsession inside them. And what I see is some groups have just mastered the art of exploiting this bug in the system. This is nothing but preying on a bug in the system, exploiting it to the nth degree. But how the hell can people not see this? Well, identity politics is the bug in the system. You're right. I mean, uh, just last night on Twitter, somebody told me I was the wrong color to comment on any of this. But I'm not entitled to write an article saying it's wrong to blow up a, a plane. We were speaking of the Air India bombing of 1985. 329 people were killed outright, all innocent civilians. But I'm not supposed to object to that or say I object to that or say that it was a bad thing because I'm not brown enough. Uh, identity politics is a bug in the system. 
Uh, and sometimes it reaches an absolutely absurd point. And it did just last night and the day before and the day before on Twitter. This person, this clown really was saying, well, I'm the wrong color. So I can't, I, I can't express my opinion on whether it's a good idea to blow up civilian airliners. I mean, people do believe this stuff now. So this person was happy to go on Twitter and broadcast her view that uh, people who aren't brown cannot comment on the blowing up of a civilian airliner. It's absolute madness. And yes. uh, Puneet, my question to you is, I, mm -hmm. I could have asked this to Terry, but I don't mm -hmm. want to. I want to ask this to you. So if you remember Terry's interview with Jagmeet Singh, right? Uh, uh, so, oops. Terry's interview with Jagmeet Singh was a classic case where, you know, Terry asked Jagmeet Singh to condemn the, uh, who was it? Parmar, right? Terry asked yes, him to condemn yeah. Parmar, Parmar, right? And Jagmeet Singh in classic <laughs> Jagmeet Singh style. By the way, he's one of the few politicians that really despise, just to put it on record. I, I really am not a fan of that gentleman. Uh, and for obvious reasons, I'm a Punjabi, so I don't like it when things like this happen. And, you know, our own people do it. And he refuses to do it, Puneet. Now, in such a situation, when a politician behaves like this, forget what Terry did. Terry did his job as a journalist. He asked him the question. And the first thing they did was, oh, look at this is racism, trying to bully a minority guy. So how does one respond? Let's say I was living in Canada, Puneet. So how do we as a community respond in such cases? So there are two things. First of all, you know, like these people are inveterate liars. So for example, like what you saw, actually, you know, what you don't see in the interview, but Terry can correct me if I'm wrong. So he said, I don't know. Actually, his campaign office was facing the life-size Parmar picture. So when he was campaigning, he saw every day like this guy is outside some Gurdwara. And he's like, okay, you have an office from your window, you can see Parmar and you don't know. And you know, this is actually like part of the Khalistanis to give you an example, this Damdami Taksal that supposedly Bhindranwale read. And you know, it's what does Taksal mean? It means a mint. Mint means printing press. So what kind of scholarship this Iridius will produce, you know, when Bhindranwale died after a few days, Indian government released a picture, you know, like, okay, this is Bindramale dead. And, you know, you can also find it on the internet now because it's Google's generation. But believe you me, you know, I'm telling you, it's a personal experience. When I was young, I wanted, there was no Google, there was, there was something. I wanted to explore what happened. Who is this guy, Bindranwale? And I went everywhere to find what it is. So in every Blue Star anniversary, they would come, like, what do you say? And the head or the spokesperson of this, his, uh, supposedly like the biggest, what do you say, monastery and, you know, like scholarship producing, they would lie. For 20 years, they'd lie that Bhindranwale is alive. They said, okay, then where is Bhindranwale? He's like, the great people arrive at the same time when they have to take command of the nation. <laughs> no, this is officially for 20 years, they lied. You please check. People don't know because no, only no, I, like I'm a, not mistrusting you. I just find yeah, it funny. I'm just saying 1% so happens silly. in English. 99% happens in Punjabi. So for 20 years, they basically lied. And, you know, it was not uh, because, you know, there's innocent jet boys. Many of them actually went to Pakistan. So some people, I can actually connect you to them, you know, because now I started speaking. So many people started reaching out to me because nobody's speaking. They give testimony, you know, they went to Pakistan and they would say, please introduce us to Santaji, you know, because everybody said this is this great saint. And what the ISI would say, yeah, yeah, we would introduce you. First, take this bomb taking training and you have to, you know, distinguish yourself. 
So go to India and do this blast. And they would do the blast and return again to Pakistan. And you say, oh, you have to do another blast. So these people still exist. So many Punjabi youth entered Pakistan hoping to find him. There is like, he's not in Punjab, he must be in Pakistan. So they are the liars. Now, again, you know, this World Sikh organization, it's basically the same organization who did this thing, you know, like where they are saying, you know, blood for blood and, you know, Indra Bech after that. And I also say, if you, they gave a submission to the Supreme Court, a retired Supreme Court Justice Major. And, you know, supposedly they are lawyers, but it's utter nonsense. You know, like Terry can go, it's just like pack of lies. And, you know, like, okay, like, you're not a street person. So on paper, they have just, like, degrees. But intellectually, like, I don't want to use the R word, but they're completely, like, bankrupt. And it's not just, like, they're mentally bankrupt. They are ethically bankrupt. You know, they just lie and they have no shame. Terry, can you tell us about this letter the WSO gave to, like, the Chief Justice of, you know, retired Chief Justice? Yeah, it, it, it is a curious case. And it does, you're, you're quite right, it does illustrate the sort of intellectual bankruptcy that we're dealing with here. This is a case where there was a large judicial, judicial inquiry run by a former Supreme Court Justice in Canada into the Air India bombing. And I'll spare you the details, but the upshot is that um, uh, the World Sikh Organization was given... Uh, standing, uh, legal standing, so that they could send a lawyer to and monitor the inquiry. They weren't allowed to cross-examine witnesses, but they could make submissions. And they did make a submission, and they made a submission uh, by lawyers in writing the formal opinion of the World Sikh Organization. And it was <clears throat> that uh, the inquiry had been wrong not to seriously investigate the theory that the Indian government blew up Air India. It wasn't the people who really did blow it up, which all the evidence shows quite plainly, indisputable hard evidence gathered in eight years of sworn testimony, documents, surveillance reports, wiretap transcripts, don't get me started. So it's a certainty. And they wrote this submission saying that the, the, the inquiry had been wrong not to investigate the possibility that the Indians blew up their own plane as some sort of false flag. Of, you know, it's an Air India truther theory, like the 9-11 truther theory that, oh, well, it was a false flag operation. The CIA did it. The Mossad did it and all of this kind of crazy nonsense. And they further said that the inquiry had been wrong not to cross-examine a senior RCMP officer, senior police officer, about uh, his memorandum back in the day that the theory of the Indians blowing up their own plane had not been seriously investigated. Aha! Why wasn't he cross-examined about that? Well, here's the problem. He was. Every word that they said in their formal legal submission that was never put to this senior police witness was in fact put to him. In fact, they even cited correctly the page number where he testified and was subjected to that cross-examination. So every word of their submission in that respect was completely false. And uh, this seems to have become a sort of art form. I was told, for, you mentioned the case of uh, my interview with Jagmeet Singh, uh, just to make sure that those who are not familiar with the case uh, are, are, are understanding what we're talking about. This is a 
newly arrived star in the Canadian political firmament, uh, who won the leadership of Canada's left-wing uh, party, third party, if you will, uh, the New Democratic Party. He won the leadership, uh, and he won it with the assistance uh, of supporters at the, the uh, Gurdwara in Surrey, which displays life-size giant martyr posters of the Air India bomber, who is, of course, the worst mass murderer in Canadian history. So they sold a lot of memberships to the party. Those members could then vote for the leader, and he won the leadership. He came onto the, into the CBC studios. I happened to be hosting the political show that day, and uh, so I asked him, "Well, you know, uh, these you're you're a lifelong Sikh activist. You identify with these people. Do you approve of them displaying these martyr pictures?" of the Air India bomber. And he changed the subject. And I asked him five times. And he, every single time, ducked the question. He wouldn't answer it. And so the CBC was condemned as racist. I was condemned as racist because it was somehow I was only asking him because of his race. Now, I've been asking politicians of all colors and flavors at all parties and all levels of government, municipal, federal, provincial, the same question, whether they were white or brown or not, for 10 years. But suddenly when I asked a Sikh gentleman the same question, whether he approved of this monstrous display, obscene display, honoring a mass murderer, they said it was racist. Now it's racist, but only when I ask Jagmeet Singh. And to be fair, I must add a, a postscript, if I may, and that is that Jagmeet Singh did, in the end, concede five months later that, uh, yeah, he now accepted that uh, Talvinder Parma was indeed uh, found to be and proved to be the Air India bomber. Although he didn't take the next step and say, so yes, I'm answering the question now, and I do condemn the display of Mata pictures. But hey, we got halfway there. I'll take what I can get. Yeah, and j just to back up what Terry says, uh, I I'll recommend everybody. I think it was uh, one of the videos CBC did as a tribute to Terry in the end, where Terry's asking questions to everyone. I still remember a particular one. Two ones stuck uh, st stuck in my memory. The one where uh, he's asking a question to Trudeau, and the other one was this. I don't remember who the politician was, Terry, who said, "You better watch out." And you said, "You don't tell me what I'm going to ask." Uh, I, I remember those two particular ones. I don't know who that, that, that was. That was a conservative politician, and uh, he, he he too has changed into a nice guy now. <laughs> now he's a friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Puneet, now I want to share the screen because I was telling you offline about this. I, I can't get over this map, Puneet. <laughs> it's, it, it's a hilarious map. So let's talk about this map that Terry has shared in the article in Quillette. So Puneet, can you, can, you, can you just share some light on this genius piece of work? <laughs> actually, Kushal, you know, like there, are, there is another layer to this that people actually don't understand. And, you know, like today is Terry, but maybe we should do another episode to give you very summarily, you know, yeah. They're all Sikhs, like for outsiders, they're like, oh, they're all Asians. But actually, there are two very distinct cultures. So mm -hmm. actually, if you look at, for example, all Sikh gurus, for example, all, not bar none, they're all Khatris. They only married into Khatris and they only gave their daughters into Khatris, right? And like, if you look at the Granth Sahib, 
Then after Dransa, there are two other Gursikhs who are said, basically, you know, whose uh, Bani or whose uh, compositions are almost equal to the Gurus. You can do it. They also happen to be like Khatris, right? So one, and then, so you can have a community which is socially dominant, but culturally backward. Now, if you look mm -hmm. at, for example, like Canada, drug bust or something like that, you see all, like sometimes they write sing, but when they write, uh, write their last name, all bar none basically are jat, 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 jat. So it's basically a redneck culture that is coming. And you know, you can't say, oh, they are discriminators or something because they control the political power. They control the religious power. So they are as dominant as you can get. But they are, so if you look, for example, Punjab, now it is doing a bit better, had a terrible shame for female infanticide. Now, if you look that, it was not the untouchable people from the untouchable community. That was, again, mainly a, a Jatsik problem. So again, like, for example, Jagmeet Singh, Daliwal, Jaskaran, Sandhu, you know, all these things, you know, it's just like a cultural thing. You know, for example, if you look at Afghanistan, so you have Pashtun, they have a very strong sense of superiority, but violence is endemic in them, and it's a very, very tribal society. But if you look, for example, the Northern Alliance, like Tajik, they have a Persian culture, they're not tribal, and, you know, like Amrullah Saleh is from there, Amr Shamasood is there, and it's the same. So, for example, even if you look at, for example, America, it was the Irish. They were cult culturally very backward, but politically, like even Joe Biden or John F. Kennedy, they have always been in sports and in politics, and you so overrepresented. Even though they were, and if you look at the Germans, which were probably like the most culturally advanced, they were politically a bit backward because they didn't engage in it. So there are actually like two diverse cultures that, that are taking it. To give you an example, like, for example, what are Jet Sikhs? We don't have caste data, but according to estimate, maybe they're like 20 to 30 percent. Let's say 25 percent of the 22 percent, Puneet. In, in, uh, in Indian Punjab, they're 22 percent of Indian So it's data. a we don't do caste surveys after 1931. So it's basically an extrapolation. Let's say, yeah, 22 percent, right? So uh, there was actually some excellent field studies done, you know, and these people are still alive. And it's it's like my heart breaks and I'm also inspired. Like there is... Uh, this uh, great, great study by Har uh, Harish Puri, Jagroop Seko, Paramjit Singh Judge, that's also like quoted in like the article. So, you know, if you look at this terrorism problem, about 60% uh, of the deaths were Jatsikhs. So like they were overrepresented, but there is devil is in the detail. If you see the number of terroristic groups, they were 80% Jatsikhs. And if you look at, for example, leaders, they were almost 100% Jatsikhs. There was actually one guy like Manjeet Singh from Khajala village who was a Chimba. But anyways, there is there is a very, very strong caste angle to it. But again, you know, like th that's like, you know, another discussion in itself. So they're actually yeah, like... That's culture. something you and I have to talk. You know, for example, yeah. if you come to New York, you know, for example, if you go to Queens where they have like this Jatsikh Gurdwara and, you know, like if you Google New York Gurdwara fight, your eyes would blow away. You know, they are abusing and fighting and using swords in front of Granth Sahib and beating people. That happened in Queens. Now you go to Long Island, which is just 20 miles away, and you will suddenly feel like, I can't believe like these are the two same communities. So that's where the Khatri Sikhs live. So there's actually a, a huge cultural gap. So for example, all the gurus, and till this Akali schemes, Sikh leadership was always with Khatris, but not one terrorist leader was Khatri. And do, you know, and so there is a, a, a big, you know, like socio, like uh, a problem. And, you know, only we can speak about it. You know, the Europeans cannot speak about it because they don't know. And again, you know, they will be called as racist. So sorry, that was it. And what was your question? You know, I, I went so into no, the so I want to talk about this map. Uh, what's the, 
this map is hilarious i don't know how else to say it but uh, when right, i see right. every time i see this map i i chuckle for like good 5 minutes it's like this has to be like when it comes to pipe dreams right <laughs> this has to be one of the most amazing pipe so this is ever. so ridiculous because first of all like if you look at punjab you know punjab yeah. was so there was like the british punjab like the east punjab which is largely exactly. like the punjab we have and then there was west, west punjab which was like largely what uh pakistan has and they were divided by satluj so basically that punjab that was under maharaja ranjit singh that was entirely in the hands of uh is in pakistan this punjab that is on our side that was not with him so okay amritsar was there but ludhiana and everything downwards that was not with maharaja ranjit singh so if you are talking about the sikh empire you have to take pakistani punjab now again they have t- taken shimla you know like again you know like i've given actually uh a, a couple of talks on this and you know they go into the detail shimla actually used to be part of punjab but you know they wanted to play this ethnic politics and create a sikh majority state so shimla was actually thrown out of punjab into himachal so you know again they they, they no again they are so foolish like for example okay you want to create a khalistan so will amritsar will be a part of it or not and amritsar has more hindus than sikhs so and you know like i've gone into like again like i've given talks online this sikhism has nothing to do with territoriality the gurus never ta- if you look for example guru gobind singh the uh, the guru who forms the khalsa so when he uses a word for punjab he uses madhradesh which is comes from mahabharata the epic yeah. you know like nakulense there's mother is matri because she comes from that region so he if you look at classics works in his time you know scorp they are writing in braj but again you know these people have no culture of education no culture of scholarship and they 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 say this ridiculous thing and you know like you feel like amusing but it's also like really like heartbreaking you know like there are people living in this world and you know like they have basically no intelligence and if you want to create like if your population the same they are like 2% here they are 2% in canada then create khalistan in canada like if they want to okay like they are more majority create in brampton or sorry where, where where you have the number so if you look at their politicians i think in uh, brampton they are 20 but they get all the seats so create khalistan there it has nothing to do they have no popular support there is nothing they they can find from the religion like uh, i'm telling you history that is there the population there are more hindus but again you know it's it, it's basically joined the cult you know i i uh, sorry one last i'll give a thing you know i don't know if you have watched this documentary it's one of the most amazing documentaries i've ever seen wild wild country have you seen that where these people go and yeah. join so these people was fascinating they are the most educated people that join any cult in the history 25% in that time it's not today's time you go to a, you know take a, like a 100 million uh, 100000 dollar loan and have a degree in gender studies at that time education had a certain values in 70s and 80s 25% people had like master degrees and when they joined the cult they couldn't just see you know they made it fight between good and evil and they saw something evil in front of them and they would not acknowledge it and they would act out evil because they were thinking they were acting out in the greater good so they people are cult so if they could do it these people have no education no they they have in 21st century female infanticide so what do you expect from so these people are basically cult members So just one last thing Terry and then we can maybe take a few live viewer questions too. I want to talk about another organization that you share some information on but let's spend some time talking about them Six for Justice. So let's talk about uh, can you can you talk a little bit about that too? Six for Justice is uh 
really uh, the star of the Khalistani movement today because uh, they have come up with an idea uh, that we should have a referendum on uh, a separate Sikh state. Uh, and they were the ones that produced the map that you just showed, incorporating large chunks of Rajasthan and Himachal Pradesh and Haryana and now parts of Uttar Pradesh and uh, a, a capital at Shimla. That's all Sikhs for Justice that made that map. Uh, and I, 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 I've had uh, some criticisms from Khalistanis who say, well, the, the reason for the map is because uh, we only want to have areas where there's a Sikh majority. Well, it's news to me that there's a Sikh majority in Rajasthan or Himachal Pradesh or Haryana. I mean, it's all nonsense. It's just like you have to wonder, are these people awake? Uh, I'm speechless. Anyway, uh, but uh, Sikhs for Justice um, has a, a very good sales pitch. And that pitch is, we're not for bullets. We're for ballots. And uh, we want to have a fair vote uh, on uh, the to measure the uh, level of support for Khalistan among Sikhs worldwide. Well, uh, the Indian government said, well, not, not in India, you don't. Sikhs for Justice is banned in India. And its leader, Gopatrat Singh Panun, who's a lawyer in New York, has been banned and labeled a terrorist and his properties seized. So it's not going well in India. Outside in the diaspora, where this idea of Khalistan survives and has its home, Sikhs for Justice has made some progress by uh, an online campaign, which is very active and uh, very energetic, uh, in which they constantly put out videos and memes uh, ca calling the Indian government fascist and genocidal, uh, hyping up the figures and the facts, um, praising and honoring and revering important Sikh martyrs uh, to include the assassins of Indira, Indira Gandhi, the assassins of Chief Minister Bayant Singh in 95 in Punjab, uh, the Air India bomber, after whom they named their Canada headquarters. They named their Canada headquarters for their referendum campaign, the uh, Shaheed Talvinder Singh Parma Voter Registration Center. That's what Sikhs for Justice thought was the right poster boy for its uh, referendum campaign. And most recently, uh, a, a year late, uh, blame the pandemic, they have actually made an important first step. That was in, in Britain, in the UK, at the end of October, on the anniversary, October 31st, of Indira Gandhi's assassination. They chose that day, how tactful of them, to have their uh, start of voting in the UK at a few Gurdwaras, mainly in Southall, which is West London, uh, the uh, predominantly Sikh area of West London. And uh, they then issued claims that thousands and thousands of Sikhs had shown up uh, to show their support for the referendum. Uh, the most optimistic number was about 40,000. So that would be about 10% uh, of the roughly 400,000 Sikhs uh, in the UK. In other words, they got uh, a, a very small turnout if you believe their figures, which most people don't, considering that a friend of mine who's a 
uh, Sikh who lives in London, uh, he tested the system. He registered to vote, went online and registered to vote in the referendum. And he entered the, the name and picture of Angelina Jolie. <laughs> and, and bing, you're registered. Go ahead and vote. Fine. Nobody checked his ID. Uh, I mean, so uh, the, the referendum may, of course, turn out to be just a, a farce. I mean, it, it may turn out to be ridiculous. I wasn't there. I won't judge the legitimacy of, uh, of the uh, Sikhs for Justice referendum, but I will say that it's um, there are questions about its legitimacy, let, let us say, to put it tactfully. But the point is this, that um, it's a good idea. Let's have a referendum. Uh, it, it, it's, it should be popular. Uh, so far, there's no evidence that it really is. But the, the real point is that they are keeping Khalistan on the agenda. They're keeping the idea alive. Uh, but you look at the map and you think, this is such a fantastic idea. This is so absurd in so many ways uh, that you wonder, why are they even doing this? Why are they, are, are they even serious? Where's this alleged Sikh majority? Is it, it, it makes no sense unless you start thinking about it in terms of um, it's, it, it's really a cry of pain. We're, we're concerned, they're concerned that they're becoming irrelevant. They're concerned that the movement has been stamped out 30 years ago in India. They're trying to keep their grievances alive and keep the idea of an independent state alive. Uh, and they are not accepting defeat. And that's something that we should be concerned about because the history of the movement is extremely violent. Well, all I can say is now that Angelina Jolie has entered the debate, we need to get Amitabh Bachchan ready from our side. <laughs> is all I can say. But but let's let's get to the audience questions now. So, Puneet, I'll start with you because I think uh, this is something I told you also. I wanted to ask you anyways offline. So this is more of a comment. I'll maybe add some bit to it and then we can address it. So, you know, somebody has read, you know, I know Sikhs brought up in Jammu, Kashmir and other possible states outside Punjab who really don't care for Khalistan. Uh, do you think it is more of a Punjabi Sikh obsession outside India, this whole Khalistan thing? And and I want to add to this, Puneet, something that I'm worried about because I've always maintained this. The Punjabi identity is not just a Jat Sikh identity, to be very clear. Uh, the Punjabi identity is Muslims, Hindus, even Christians. And you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a much larger identity, right? Like, you can't be a Punjabi. And if you say you don't enjoy the Gurbani and even the words of Bulisha and then, you know, the great uh, Hindu writers, even till the modern day, let's say Shiv Kumar Batalvi, you know, you know, is Shiv Kumar Batalvi of one religion? No, you know, is Bulesha just one religious identity? That's part of Punjabi folklore. It's, it's Punjabi culture and everybody enjoys everything in Punjab. So so do you think, and I don't see it in India, at least in my circles and extended, but it's always been a constant worry for me, Puneet, that how are the relations in the Punjabi diaspora? Do you see, you know, in... I mean, in Hindi, we would call the word darare divisions. Uh, do you see it's affecting or it's actually bringing the community closer and we're able to identify the cuckoo ones who make these funny maps? So two things. Like first, again, you know, like you talked about Punjabi identity. So, you, you know, if you look at Punjab, it's basically a Persian word. Like Panj, like Panj is also Panj in Persian and Ab is like Abohava. So 
you know, so Panjab. If you look at it, it's called Uttarpath, Saptasindhu, then I called Madhradesh, like I give you example. The idea of Punjab actually, and he's from Guru's time, it comes from Varasha. It comes from this great mm -hmm. Sufi Muslim, you can call him Muslim or whatever, you know, he's beyond. So he basically writes, you know, that there are these five Duabs and above that there is Afghan region and Yamuna, there is a Delhi and they are culturally different and we are. So this cultural identity, and if you see, for example, uh, Varasha, who is the hero, is kind of like based on Krishna is Ranja. So Ranja is born to a Muslim family, but he becomes a chela of uh, like a follower of Guru Goraknath. So Punjabi idea is very, very syncretic. You know, again, you know, like it, if you look at this, so this comes from Varasha. And it has been very secret. Like Bullesha is as much a part of our identity as our gurus. So, but again, you know, mm -hmm. these clowns, and again, you know, that this uh, they are doing it. Now, I just, what you are right, I, there is a point I disagree with and I agree with. I'm, I'm ready to give you all the evidence and we can have 20 more minutes. They don't even have support in diaspora. And I can, it's not just my opinion or, or my belief or my desire. I have evidence. I'm speaking on the basis of it. But there are a very, very small fraction, even in the Jat Six. And I don't mean this as like disparaging as Jat Six. So, for example, the people who fought most bravely against this menace, KPS Gill is a Jat, Ujjal Dosanjh is a Jat. Mm -hmm. For us, it's very easy to say now. But those people who put their life on the line, Jeevan Singh Umranangal is a Jat, Bharaj Deol is a Jat. So I bow my head to them, you know, for the service they have done for humanity and for, you know, like, so we can live, you know, with peace. So, but I am not, I can, they are not even a majority in Jats. But yes, the, the, a minority, a very committed, committed minority and a violent minority can create a destruction for everyone. It was the same that happened even in Punjab's time. They, they never had a majority. To give you an example, who was the patron saint of all this like uh, evil is Bhindranwale, right? So Bhindranwale comes mm -hmm. in 78. And again, people don't think he went to the Golden Temple the first time. This was his third time hiding in the temple. He was such a coward. In 1979, he made a party, Dal Khalsa, and he ran for elections. And forget a normal election where you have a plethora of issues. It was a Gurdwara election on religious things. Mm -hmm. So his right-hand man, the, basically the son of his guru, who was not given the seat, his name was Amrik Singh. He lost from near Amritsar a seat called Bayas. They know they cannot win electorally, they cannot convince, and that's why they indulge in violence. And this problem can be like sorted out very easily if people understand like it's not a question of ideology or religion. Like these people are criminals and they need to be dealt like criminals. And this happened the same, you know, they try to do it. So they abuse KPS Gill and the, I will say the last thing they, that he did it. If you look at 92, uh, 91 period when KPS Gill was not there because the first demand of terrorists was after he did Black Thunder and embarrassed them and showcased that they had defecated inside the Golden Temple and you know they had like uh, buried like dozens of bodies. Their first demand was remove KPS Gill. So in 90 and 91, KPS Gill was not there. For two years, on an average, 500 people were being killed every month. Every month, people don't know. And this is when KPS Gill was not there. And when the government at the center and at the state understand this is a criminal people and you don't like, you know, try to pull, you do it. In eight months, the terrorism problem finished. When they said, okay, you know, the, and people came out. So you, if you see the, after terrorism finished in uh, assembly elections, in provincial elections, 25%. But after terrorism finished in the same year, 82% joined for like, you know, village elections. 
so people were not with them even then and if you look at kps gill if you look at the kill uh, the deaths even of terrorists fell down because they knew okay like you know he created a deterrent we would not fight back again i give you the name of jagroop seko he gives very examples you know like the militants would treat the family of kidnapped policemen better than the average person because they were like okay there is a deterrent sometimes they would say okay eat meat here is some alcohol so there has to be a deterrent and the governments in canada and the governments in mostly canada but also in india they are criminals and they have to be dealt like criminals that's all i have to say all right so okay let's go to the next question terry in your experience how much of this is i mean it's so obvious but i have to ask this question so how does pakistan fit into this entire thing well, pakistan is the basis of it pakistan of course as many indians know uh, suffered a grave humiliation way back in 1971 when uh, east pakistan was torn off to form the independent state of bangladesh and it was doubly humiliating because some 90000 pakistani troops surrendered to the indian army which sided with the bangladesh side and um i suppose that the uh, the role of pakistan ever since was to try to get revenge uh on india and as is famously expressed as wanting to bleed india in other words to punish india for that uh, embarrassment uh by and this was made explicit by its leadership uh, particularly in the case of of Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto uh, who was heard to say uh, that uh, he wanted to tear off a piece of india just as india had torn off a piece of pakistan and that piece would be khalistan so the, so from the uh, ever since for the last 50 years the pakistani state has uh, worked to support and to provide a refuge a safe haven for khalistani militants who could then slip across the border and carry out attacks inside punjab uh we mentioned earlier the air india bomber uh, talvinder palmar when he fled canada after the bombing and went to pa- he went to pakistan he knew where he could go to be safe from arrest to be or, or, or trial Uh, and he was running guns into pakistan for about 3 years until he was caught inside punjab uh, by uh, he was ratted out basically by an informer the police caught him and uh, there was a gun battle uh, and uh, parmar died significantly in the company among others there were six men uh, two of them were pakistani agents working for the ISI one was actually a pakistani islamist a jihadist uh, who was making common cause with the khalistanis uh, the other was actually from a, a kashmiri an indian kashmiri with false id false pakistani id uh, so it's interesting that uh, this was a joint operation of the ISI and pama when they were caught and killed uh so pakistan has always provide played this role as the big brother of the khalistan movement there was nowhere else they could go 
and get weapons and training and medical care and access to crossing the border into uh, into Indian Punjab. And more recently, this has become a, a, an interesting topic. Uh, and your uh, correspondent is right to raise the question. This has become an interesting topic uh, to all of India because uh, Pakistan, of course, is becoming a wholly owned subsidiary of China. China, China is the big brother of Pakistan, and Pakistan is the big brother of the Khalistan movement. Not because the Pakistanis are great lovers of the Sikhs. The population of Sikhs in Pakistan has been plummeting uh, in recent years under the weight of uh, forced conversions and the abductions of uh, uh, not just Sikh girls, Hindu girls, Christian girls, forced uh, shotgun marriages uh, and forced conversions. Uh, naturally, the Sikhs have been fleeing. Pakistan. Nevertheless, Pakistan poses as the friends of the Sikhs, but it seems to be, have its own geopolitical reasons, leading India and playing China's game. China has made it clear that if India is going to support, for example, the independence of Taiwan, which China considers to be part of China, then the Chinese say, well, uh, we might start supporting independence movements inside India. So this uh, uh, Puneet has made, it, I think, a persuasive case that you know this is really nothing to do with uh, religion or the uh, well-being of the Sikhs. There's something else going on. It's geopolitics, uh, and uh, I think the evidence for that is very strong. Can I quickly add a point? You know, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so Terry has made like what he's saying is right, you know, but Kushal, what I'm worried about is one is Pakistan supporting this Khalistan movement. What I am more worried about, and that's especially true of Canada, this Khalistani community mutating into kind of like this Pakistani community. So, you know, like UK is a very interesting case, you know, because they collect data based on religion. So if you look at Sikhs and Pakistanis, we are the same people. You know, we look the same. We have the same language. We eat pretty much the same. We have the same festivals. But there is a world of a gap between our attainments. So, for example, Indians, as usual, like, you know, like Pakistanis have much more like imprisonment rates, higher rate of divorce, higher rate of like drug addiction, higher rate of crime. And I've studied this for over a 200 year period, like after, you know, like the British, like start sending this Indian diaspora around the world. Indians have always had like four things. And that's why it makes them the most desirable immigrants every, anywhere in the world. They've always had the lowest rate of divorce, lowest rate of crime, highest rate of education, highest economic achievement. Now, if you look at Khalistan, this is doesn't exist in a 200 year history. And this is not basically actually anything to do with Sikhs. If you look at the UK data after the Jews, the most successful community is the Sikhs. So even more than the Hindus. So Hindus come third. But in Canada, for the first time, you put drug bust Canada, you get the news report and you can see the name. Sing, 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 sing. Uh, uh, gang bust, sing, sing. The other day, like you have grooming gangs, there were some like uh, grooming in Canada, sing, sing, sing. And that's so shameful because that's not part of our history at all. So it's not just like Pakistan is uh, supporting them. It's mutating the culture where we are having crime that, that never existed and that we kind of associated with, you know, like uh, some Pakistan diaspora communities, especially in the UK. So it's actually a much more dangerous threat. It's like a cultural mutation into criminality. 
So, Puneet, I'm going to mix two questions for you and then I have one more question for Terry and we'll wrap it up. So, so the question is that, you know, in, in light of the recent farmer protests and, uh, you know, stuff like that, uh, do you see, like, as far as revivalism in India, I think, uh, I don't know how much I can speak beyond a point because there's just some things that are told to me that are not supposed to be said uh, online. Um, but... Um, uh, basically, the whole point is, uh, is, is the farmer protest going to be used as a cudgel to revive this whole Khalistani thing? And how much is, is it going to play, let's say, in the next five years, maybe outside India? I can say in India, I think the government did what it had to do and will deal with it with the way it is supposed to be dealt with. But I guess what I'm asking you is and what the viewers are asking is primarily outside India. How much do you think will this have an impact? There are too many variables to make a thing. But again, you know, like this normalization of Bindranwale. To give you a very interesting example, uh, again, I, sorry. So there is a great book. It was the greatest field research that I've ever read. And it was done by three Punjabi uh, uh, professors. It's called uh, Terrorism in Punjab, a grassroots reality. And it was out of print, but I got this book from US Congress and I scanned the book and I can even give it to you. So if you look at, for example, uh, terrorists, 95% didn't finish schooling, 25% never went to school. And they give like very minute details, what was their social. But the most educated person in this terrorist was Dr. Suwan Singh. After Bindran Wale, he became the leader of the Panthic community. So one thing you find very interesting in this 1992 Human Rights Watch, and you know, they excorciate the police and give like very liberal, do this, do this. They have no understanding of how like terrorism works. But they, in Human Rights Watch, they basically, Suwan Singh is saying, that you have to call a Bindranwale a Sant, otherwise we will murder you. So you see the Bindranwale has been uh, like normalized everywhere. That is so shocking. Like in the India I grew up, I never saw a Bindranwale poster. And he was a terrorist for us. So, you know, we have Terry Maleski. The first person to report actually from Canada was Terry Glavin. So, you know, maybe you can even have him on your podcast. He basically went to Punjab and interviewed all these terrorist leaders, including Bindranwale. And he says Bindranwale was a genocidal monster. You know, like what he, he started speaking about exterminating Hindus or ethnic cleansing of Hindus before Blue Star happened. This Terry Glavin has reported. So this farmer protest under the cloak of these farmers, they have normalized all kinds of like ridiculous behaviors, which is completely, I cannot relate to the India I grew up and I am a product of 84. I'm not like somebody is, so what is happening is very, very dangerous. So if you can normalize, it's the same thing. Like, for example, if you read the article, it's all utter lies. You know, your women have been raped in front of your families. And you know, like I, I destroyed that everything. There is no evidence. And you know, there is nothing like Indian police actually. There is state police, Punjab police. And if you look at, in Punjab has 55% Sikh population, but there's 65% uh, 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 Sikhs in the police. So what kind of non, but if you read the Bindranwala rhetoric, it was the same. You know, it was like this, attacking this Jatsik idea of like, like, you know, very like primal pride about your women, about your land, about your religion. And it's the same thing that they are normalizing. Your religion is in danger. Your women is, is in danger. Your land is in danger. So it's it, it's the same thing happening. I, I see like 70s and 80s happening all over again. All right. So Terry, one last question for you, I guess. So <laughs> liberals and conservatives both support the Khalistanis in Canada, albeit in different ways. What can the Indian government do to convince Canada don't do it? <laughs> Well, I think they tried everything and failed. Uh, and I, I, I honestly cannot <clears throat> uh, 
answer the question by suggesting anything more that the Indian government could do that they haven't already tried, although <clears throat> I do think they've been uh, quite discreet and diplomatic, perhaps unnecessarily and excessively polite. Uh, uh, they, they prefer not to, it's, uh, uh, it's a style, it's a style of diplomacy, I guess, uh, that is not uh, bellicose uh, and is very collegial and uh, privately behind the scenes, they discreetly mention to Canadian politicians, look, uh, <clears throat> we want you to keep an eye on this guy and this guy because uh, they're organizing and sending money to uh, bad actors in Punjab and they're fomenting uh, hatred and even violence uh, in Punjab. So could you please keep an eye on them? Uh, we would like to see them arrested and prosecuted and so forth. But they won't say this publicly. Uh, they don't try to embarrass the Canadian government. And uh, for years, this has been going on. It goes all the way back to 1982. Uh, Indira Gandhi was then prime minister and asked Pierre Trudeau, the father of the current prime minister, uh, you've got to crack down on these uh, Khalistanis because they're fomenting violence in Punjab, but they're committing violence in Canada, which they were. And the Canadians said, well, yes, it's tut, tut, tut. Uh, but they didn't really want to do anything. In fact, the Indians even asked specifically for the extradition of Tovinder Parmar, who was wanted for the murder of two policemen in Punjab. He was a resident and a citizen of Canada. So they said, we want to extradite this guy for murder. They outed him as a terrorist. This is three years before the Air India bombing, which he carried out. And uh, the Canadians said, uh, and I'm not making this up, uh, well, no, we can't do that. We're not going to extradite him. You see, um, India doesn't acknowledge the Queen as head of state. You know, what? what? What's that got to do with anything? You know, it's just, what? When I, when I tell this story, people say, uh, what? They, they just don't understand what I'm raving about. But this was the excuse that because the Commonwealth extradition protocols did not apply in the opinion of the Canadian bureaucrats to India because India did not acknowledge the Queen of Head of State. Therefore, there was no real extradition treaty between India and Canada. Therefore, uh, the paperwork wasn't right. So we couldn't extradite Palmar for murder. I mean, it, 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 it's, it sounds comical if it weren't so serious. But uh, what I'm saying about the question is that India did try discreetly, as I say, perhaps even too discreetly, uh, for many years to get Canada to take more seriously the threat of Khalistani militants. Uh, and even when the violence was out of control, in the early 80s, they were trashing Indian consulates, invading, waving swords. There were shootings. There were beatings. Puneet mentioned Balraj Diol and Ujjal Assange, both beaten within an inch of their lives, both lucky to be alive at all today, uh, having survived beatings for the crime of saying, give peace a chance, dial down the violence. So India certainly tried. I think they might try harder. Uh, it, it might be rude. It might be undiplomatic. 
but I think we're past the point where the Indian government would be entirely justified uh, in being a little more public about their disappointment with the political parties in Canada and their tendency to go to the Vaisakhi parade and to smile and wave and hustle for votes at election time uh, as the pictures of gun-toting Khalistani martyrs roll by on the parade floats on, uh, parade floats on Vaisakhi Day. I think they could say more about that uh, and that if they did, the embarrassment uh, to the Canadian political parties might be painful and justified. Yeah, I think the Indian government, uh, if you ask me, sitting in India, I think the Indian government could have done a lot better in this issue. I think the communication has been all over the place. Uh, outside of a few folks, maybe like, um, I think Captain Amrinder Singh, <laughs> his communication on this issue has been yeah, spot on, good, yeah, picture absolutely. perfect. Yeah, and, and, he, uh, uh, and he, for example, uh, uh, publicly outed uh, he alleged that there were members of uh, Justin Trudeau's cabinet who were Khalistani sympathizers. At one point, he refused to meet with Hajit Sajjan, then the uh, defense minister in the liberal cabinet. Uh, he relented and, and he did meet uh, with uh, Sajjan when he arrived in 2018 on Trudeau's ill-fated trip. And you'll recall, of course, that on that trip, it turned into a bit of a fiasco. It wasn't because the prime minister was dancing in these extravagant ceremonial Indian outfits. Uh, he looked like a bridegroom at a particularly lavish wedding. Um, but because uh, a convicted Khalistani terrorist uh, showed up on the guest list, unbelievably enough, and taking selfies with the prime minister's wife at diplomatic, glittering diplomatic receptions in both Mumbai and Delhi. And when, when that emerged, it turned out that the, uh, the geniuses uh, around the Prime Minister and the High Commission of Canada in India, uh, it had not occurred to them. They didn't realize that it might be a problem having a convicted Khalistani terrorist on the guest list uh, for Trudeau's uh, visit to India and posing for selfies with the Prime Minister's wife. Of course, when it got out, it was a disaster. Uh, the Indian government handled that uh, quite deftly uh, by simply rejecting the Canadian. There was uh, Canadians at one point tried to make the excuse that, well, uh, this uh, the invitation to this gentleman to these diplomatic receptions, this was uh, somehow manipulated by uh, rogue elements, sh shadowy forces within the uh, Indian government. They, it, it's their fault. They did it to embarrass the Canadians. Really? Uh, this was a Canadian reception at the High Commissioner's house. He sent out the invitations. So um, it made no sense at all. And the Indian government handled that. Very, they just allowed the Canadian story to self-destruct. And uh, they said, no, that's, uh, that's not true. And they uh, let it go at that. I would actually like to add a point. Amrinder Singh just didn't say in 2007, he said India should put sanctions on Canada. And, you know, Indeed. like, and Terry is actually very right, you know, like, because we have evidence and they spent $130 million on this investigation. So, you know, we focus on Air India, but it's actually, if you go to all other Gurdwaras, so for example, if you go to the other side of the coast, like Malton, right? In Malton, they have this guy, Kulvinder Mali, who basically, like, was involved in, like, beating Barwas Diol into an inch to his death. 
and tavleen singh has reported and you know it came in india today story and you know you can spread it to your audience he came and in just like 24 hours he killed more than 70 people you know went to a bus removed all like uh, the sikhs like uh, like uh, you know roasted all the hindus he did it in one place and there i think 30 something or died another place 30 something all died and that guy you know spread with all these bullets his picture is inside martin gurdwara but again you know indian lives matter less it's not just telvinder parmar they all the gurdwaras are are full of all these like evil monsters and it goes unchecked yeah you know that that is a tragedy i mean i can never forget the day i just few months into me going into canada i'm not a very religious person i mean people who watch this podcast know this very well but i still go to temples and gurdwaras on and off not very often but i went there and i saw interesting pictures inside the gurdwara i clearly remember it was molten and uh, i am a guy from mumbai so in my experience you know i live in a very cosmopolitan city my i was born in a majority gujarati area ethnic punjabi in a marathi majority city and you know our friends were all over the place so i had never experienced anything like this in my life i mean yes we knew what separatism was six separatism was because we were punjabis we have family in punjab and anybody who has immediate family in punjab will know about this when but i really experienced it when i was in canada and obviously after that i never went to an, a gurdwara in canada let's be and i'll still not go because i just can't stand it i mean if i see those photos over there it is it is just not acceptable i'll not go there and i and i i do that but yeah i agree with puneet it's just frustrating it's frustrating and you know we need all we can do in uh, in civilized societies is bust myths like no, derrida in his books kushal that that's what i'm fighting you know like so there are many other like communities and you know mis- uh, like movements but what is so special about sikhism is like this focus on sangat on community and i know like my sister's children and you know like so many sikhs they reach out they like we can't go to gurdwaras anymore so they basically like t- stolen a, a place of spiritual peace from us and you know i think i think uh, what was like jefferson or who said you know like freedom is not something you achieved and something freedom is something that every generation has to fight and strive for and if we don't fight today it's gone like it's it's gone you know like like they would go to like we we will miss the gurdwaras like our children will be disconnected from this such a beautiful spiritual tradition that came out of punjab it's gone you know like these 2% people control 90% of the gurdwaras already and you can't imagine what goes on you know that's another thing in itself i really recommend to watch terry's documentary sikh politics in canada it's an amazing documentary that will explain a lot but you know like it's it's happening the next generation will be disconnected from this uh, you know sikh movement if we don't fight today yeah i couldn't agree with uh, puneet uh, more than that i mean as a punjabi myself uh, ethnically punjabi i mean i always say i'm 33% marathi 30% 33% gujarati 33% punjabi and 1% north american after all because i got family there too so uh, i have that north american element and that's why i have a lot of love and affection for both america and canada for that for for that matter because i got family there and, mm-hmm. and on a lighter note everybody says you know puneet but if kushal would wear a pagdi puneet and kushal looks him like <laughs> i don't know what to make of it but i just everybody keeps saying that please tell puneet you and kushal look like brothers so so mm-hmm. i take that as a compliment uh but anyways from uh, from the same ethnicity so we'll wrap things uh, things kushal up do we have one minute like I, I want sure, to actually sure. tell you trivia. 
So like sure. this militants who basically went and killed the Indian army chief, like General Vaidya, and they actually killed him in uh, Pune, you know, in where where you are. And that was mm-hmm. the thing, they were clean shaven. So one of the reasons that judge was very keen to equip them was like then they were wearing like in the jail, they started growing their head and start, hair and started wearing a turban. And then when they brought the people to like identify them, they're like, oh, they look different and now they look different. But the Indian justice system is so liberal, they would not say like, okay, remove your hair. If you could remove your hair when killing on like the army general, remove the hair. So they're like, oh, okay, okay, you know. So the judge was actually very inclined, you know, that is how liberal the Indian justice system is. They just thought, you know, if we go out, the police is going to bump them off anyways. So they said, no, no, we we confess and, you know, you punish us. But the judge was like very keen to basically say, okay, go away, even though you have killed like the Indian army general. Well, it's good to know. Good to know. It's not just Canada that get, engages <laughs> in this, in this uh, kind of generosity. Yeah, yeah I guess. Uh, I guess uh, you know we'll end today's discussion on that. Uh, I, I'll just request all of you go and buy Terry's book. I think it's a fantastic book. You can also follow Terry on Twitter. You can go and follow you know both Sikh Seva. Seek Seva and Puneet on Twitter. I, I've left Puneet's handle in the description of the podcast too. Go and read the essay of Quillet. I've left a link for that also in the description of the podcast. It doesn't matter if you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening to this on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, whatever. Please go in there. And just one last thing. You know, I I, I don't know. Uh, I you know, Puneet is a lot like me in that sense. He you know he says what he has to say in that sense and terry you know he's uh, an absolute veteran journalist a legend and you know we all look up to him in in many ways it, puneet was right if you don't speak up you're not gonna win yes and there is a way to speak yeah speaking is what it's all about yes there is a way yeah. there is a yeah. way of course and i mean people often ask me about about this central question of the reverence and admiration that uh, is shown to these murdering terrorists about that, they would say, well, what can we do? And the answer is speak up. You have said it. The answer is speak up. You you, you don't have to go to their Vaisakhi parades. Political leaders, it's past time. Let's agree. It's past time for political leaders everywhere to say, if you're going to show posters, of these mass murderers in your temples, we're not going to go anywhere closer. I'm not saying ban them. I'm not saying bring bring the, down the force of law and make it illegal. Just saying make it intolerable. Make it so that nobody will go near you. You will be shunned. We won't do business with you. We won't show up to your parades. And we want if you want to vote for somebody else, go ahead. But if all parties said that, there'd be nobody else to vote for. Speak up is the words. Those are the words that we need to remember. People who disagree with this, the great majority who disagree with this nonsense, need to speak up. I agree. You know, we'll end today's podcast with uh, uh, often recited couplet in Punjabi where it was said, Sawa lakh se ek ladaun, gurgobin singh naam ladaun. So, you know, think like that. Think like the gurus. Think like the great people in Punjab. This is our history, you know. Like I always said, whether they were the gurus in Punjab, whether there were others, you know, saints in Punjab, these are all our people. And don't fall for these 
I don't know what to say. These these thugs. I think Puneet used the right word. He used the perfect word for them. They're thugs, and and they're bullies. A bully will, you know, pressure you until you don't push back. And how do we push back? We don't push back through violence. We push back through the law. We push back through our essays. We push back through our books. We push back through podcasts. We push back by sharing facts like Puneet does all the time. You'll never see Puneet doing anything else. He'll just say. Oh, this one wrote this. This book says this, and you know what? Eventually, the truth will win. So, Puneet, Terry, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, Jai Mahabharat. All right, guys, time to wrap today's discussion up. Please subscribe to the Charvak Podcast. Follow Terry and Puneet on Twitter. Like the video. Leave your comments and support me wherever through youtube or patreon or through the merchandise purchases i'll see you next time until then namaste take care namaste Bye.